Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 47 of the Fantasy Law Guy podcast. I'm Nick Risco, and I am back from vacation just in time for another combo show. Week 6 recap and week 7 waiver wire. Hakeem dropped the ball! Oh, Hakeem dropped the ball! He did what? Playoffs? What am talking about? Playoffs? Who the hell is Mel Kiper? They are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. It's my quarterback. What the hell's going on out here? I cannot play with him. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. Can't wait. You like that? You like that? Just keep a trick the ball down the field, boys. I saw, son. I saw. Hello? You play to win the game. Hardly. Sends the Saints to the Super Bowl. Man, I definitely missed you guys in week six. I was on vacation. My wife and I went to the beach, and that's why I wasn't able to do the matchups pod or some of the other pods, episodes that I regularly do during the week. So last week, all you got was a recap and then a waiver wire show, and I apologize for that. I apologize for the layover, and I'm happy that you are here today back with me. I really appreciate your support, and week six was a fun one, so I'm excited to get back into the podcast today and talk about it, and we'll even go on to week seven as well with a waiver wire pod. This will be another combo show where we recap the games in week six and also talk about week seven, but week six Pretty fun. You know, Derrick Henry had his monster game. Will Fuller, Matt Ryan, and Julio Jones returned to glory. Chase Claypool had an encore. James Conner with 100 in the touch. I always like to see that. Justin Jefferson is is scary good. And we're going to cover all of that. And on a personal note, I just want to let you know that for week six, for the purposes of the podcast, I couldn't be glued to the TV on Sunday taking notes from these games for the players and the contextualized game logs. I normally like to jot down notes as I'm watching like Red Zone Channel or or certain individual games. Notes that I think are relevant as they happen. Like if a player drops a long pass or has a touchdown called back by penalty or exits the game with an injury, that kind of stuff. And I wasn't able to do that this week because I was on vacation. My wife and I, as I mentioned, we went to the the beach, it was Rosemary Beach in Florida uh, for four days, and it was a great, relaxing trip. And I did get to watch the second half of the noon slate on Sunday, literally at the beach, like in the sand. I was watching Red Zone Channel on my phone via YouTube TV live while actually on the beach. I was having the ocean in the background in my beach chair, just lounging, sipping on a Tito's and Soda water with multiple limes, my go-to drink. I mean, it was a real tough life that I was living there on Sunday. I know, major inconvenience for me not to be, you know, on my couch. Instead, I was just watching the waves and hearing the ocean and getting the nice breeze. It was perfect weather. It's such a shame that I had to go through that instead of being in my normal situation for Red Zone. But I did spend the day recapping and updating my contextualized game logs, which you can find on fantasylawguy.com, by the way. And I try to keep them updated throughout the season so my offseason won't, well, A, so my offseason won't be as busy or tedious, and B, of course, to serve as a resource for you guys and girls. I think the added context of the contextualized game logs, which again are on fantasylawguy.com, 
you know, I think that's extremely helpful in determining how to view certain players, whether you're selling or buying or whether it's managing expectations or whether we can cut or add players or just general knowledge. It helps for future decisions, be it trading or even start sick questions in the future. And that's the purpose of this exercise today, too, as well. That's why we do recaps so we can go beyond the stats and figure out why and how the stats are accumulated, which helps with the process, right? It's not always about results. It's about the process as well. And the process allows you to see things coming earlier or easier, which I think helps you win in this game of fantasy football, which is about predicting future stats. And it's obviously much easier to predict future stats if we know the context of how past stats are amassed. And we have 14 games to recap today and a waiver wire segment to follow. So a long show. Uh, I do want to say before we get started that I am actually going on another trip this weekend. Once again, I know, I know it's a crazy time for me. My cousin Matt is getting married in in Terre Haute, Indiana. And Rachel and I are actually driving up there. Uh, we were, were doing the math there. You know I'm going to be very uh, as efficient as I possibly can be, analytical even. And I was trying to figure out whether it was better to fly or drive to southern Indiana from Louisiana, obviously. And unfortunately, New Orleans doesn't have any flights that aren't connecting to go to Indianapolis, the airport there. And then Terre Haute is an hour and a half outside of Indianapolis, so we'd have to rent a car and you also have to get a connecting flight to Atlanta. So I added up all this time that we were going to spend. It ends up being about the same time as the drive, which is 12 hours. Just because you got to get to the airport early. you got to check bags. you got to do all that stuff, renting a car. And then it's, it's less expensive, too. And we ended up paying for the hotels with uh, the points that we've accumulated over, like, the years of Chase credit card points. So at least we're staying in the hotels on the way there on Thursday night and Sunday night on the way back in Nashville. That's our halfway point, basically. So basically, we're staying the Thursday night in Nashville and Sunday night in Nashville and then Saturday, or sorry, Friday, Saturday in Terre Haute, Indiana. But I don't want to bore you too much with that. The only reason I am telling you is because, again, this may be the only show of the week, which, again, I apologize for. But I'll be driving back home next Monday, and then I'll do another show on Tuesday about the recap of Week 7 and then looking towards Week 8. And then, actually, our lease is up in our apartment. So, you know, I'm I'm having to already pack, and we're moving on the 28th. So just really, really busy times. But we'll get settled. I'll get settled before you know it, and we'll be back to normal. And I apologize for the layoff, and I appreciate you staying with me and supporting the show. All right, so let's get to the matchups here. We have 14 of them to go over. The recaps here. First up, the Chiefs took down the Buffalo Bills 26-17. The Chiefs are 5-1. The Bills are 4-2 and and on a two-game losing streak, but they are still atop the AFC East, so nothing to worry about there for Buffalo. Patrick Mahomes, 255 passing yards in this game, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Mahomes, he started off looking pretty shaky in the rain it was it was kind of it wasn't driving rain but i would say it's steady rainfall throughout the entire game and it affected both quarterbacks and mahomes he connected with travis kelsey for two red zone touchdowns and he also had a beautiful play uh in the fourth quarter to uh, byron pringle for 40 yards but a pretty nondescript uh solid but not spectacular game for pat mahomes tyreek hill 
a, a dud here. It was his first dud of the season. And it was actually his first game of the year where he did not score a touchdown in week six. So that's pretty good right there. Three targets, three catches, 20 yards for Tyreek Hill. And the Chiefs only attempted 26 throws because of how effective their running game was, which I'll get to in a second, and because of the positive game script. Uh, they were winning for the, most of the game, and there was also bad weather, as I mentioned, for passing games here. Uh, Sammy Watkins did not play in this game. He had a hamstring issue. McCall Hardman, I started him in one league, uh, kind of as a sleeper play because Sammy Watkins wasn't playing. And McCall Hardman, total goose egg. One target, zero catches. Uh, he was out-targeted and outplayed, obviously, by Demarcus Robinson uh, for the second straight week. And Robinson, five catches, 69 receiving yards and six, on six targets, no touchdowns. He just ran ahead of Hardman in all the two wide receiver sets. And I don't think Hardman is probably worth a roster spot. I don't know. You can give him one more week to see if he's going to produce without Sammy Watkins. But if he can't produce without Sammy Watkins, then what is he really here for? I have no idea. And I have no idea why I drafted McCall Hardman on some of my teams. Uh, and I don't know why I started him in week six. I guess I do know why I started him, but it was a really dumb decision. Uh, luckily, the goose egg didn't cost me a win. But Demarcus Robinson is the second receiver that you want for the Chiefs. I'd probably rather roster Demarcus Robinson than McCall Hardman, despite Hardman's theoretical upside that he's not really lived up to. Travis Kelsey... Seven targets, five catches, 65 receiving yards, and two touchdowns. He also had a fumble that cost the Chiefs a field goal at the end of the half. But his two red zone scores were great, and his five receiving touchdowns are tied for first in the NFL. Travis Kelsey, Clyde Edwards-Dillaire, the fresh prince. Looked at my kingdom, I was finally there to sit on my throne as the prince of L.A. He had to show off. He had to have a really good game, seeing as this is the last week that he has the backfield to himself before Le'Veon Bell comes in there and at least makes his some sort of timeshare. So this was his last shot to impress before that timeshare, and he had 26 carries. Four catches, so 30 total touches, 161 rushing yards, eight receiving yards, no touchdowns. This was the second straight game where he had a touchdown called back by penalty in this game. So that's really frustrating. He hasn't scored since week one. Very frustrating there. Even more frustrating, Darrell Williams scored on a 13-yard rushing touchdown in the second quarter. But Edwards Elaire was really strong in this game. Five carries of 10 or more rushing yards. And he also had a 31, or I think it was a 37-yard scamper in this game. And the Chiefs were opening up big running lane, uh, running lanes for Clyde Edwards-Elaire. And he made the most of it. He, he ran really well in this game. It remains to be determined how Le'Veon Bell is going to be used. But I think Edwards-Elaire is going to start and get the majority of the touches. But Le'Veon Bell definitely not optimal for the Fresh Prince's outlook going forward. Because at minimum, he's going to be a better backup than Darrell Williams, who's just really just fallen on his face as the Chiefs' number two running back this season. As for the Buffalo Bills side of things, Josh Allen, pretty slow game. His second bad game in a row, 122 passing yards, two touchdowns, one interception, but eight rushes, 42 rushing yards. But Allen's lone interception came in the final two minutes of the game when it was practically over, but he was inaccurate all game. He missed on his first four throws, and then he was 6-for-16 six at the end of the half, and he really struggled in the steady rain, and he looked like his 2019 self for the second straight week. The rushing helped 
for sure, but it's starting to get a little concerning for Josh Allen. I have noticed, maybe it's just because I'm a John Brown fan, but I've noticed ever since John Brown left or departed with his injury, and he hasn't been, he's been kind of playing hurt or missing games. Ever since John Brown has gotten hurt, Josh Allen's numbers have declined in, in a pretty substantial way. He is not, you know, obviously putting up those MVP-like numbers that he was through weeks one through four. Uh, This has been two uh, decent but not great games for him in a row, weeks five and six. So we'll see going forward. Stephon Diggs has remained his number one target. Six catches on eight targets, 46 receiving yards and one touchdown. And Diggs actually saved what was otherwise a quiet night with his short score in the first half. The Bills... You know, he led them in all receiving categories, and Josh Allen only managed 102 or 122 passing yards in this rainy day. So, I don't know, Diggs' game was actually pretty good, all things considered. And Diggs has actually hit 80 receiving yards or scored in every single game this season. So, pretty consistent, great stuff from Stephon Diggs. John Brown, I just mentioned that he was playing hurt. He admitted that he was not 100% healthy after this game. He had a goose egg on four targets there, uh, zero catches, and it was a rough night in the rain overall. Again, Allen only threw for 122 passing yards, but Cole Beasley saw seven targets and a touchdown. Cole Beasley's been coming on strong. I think he's worth a pickup in PPR leagues, and he's looking like the Bills' number two receiver with John Brown struggling with his health lately. As for the Bills' running game, Devin Singletary was the lead back, even though Zach Moss did return from his three-game absence with his turf toe injury. Uh, Devin Singletary, 10 carries, 32 rushing yards, only one catch, 13 yards. So it was a stinker of a performance despite being the lead back. The Buffalo O-line just did not play well, and many of Singletary's carries were just blown up shortly after the snap. And Zach Moss didn't do much of anything either. Five carries, 10 yards, only two point. Zero yards per carry. And Zach Moss is supposed to be the Bills' red zone running back here, but the Bills were just rarely in position to receive red zone work, you know, playing in the rain, and also they were losing for the vast majority of this game. Going forward, it's just tough to trust Singletary or Moss in starting lineups. I mean, Josh Allen, yeah. Stephon Diggs, yeah. But now that we can't use John Brown, you know, maybe Cole Beasley is a PPR asset there. But other than that, you know, this offense is pretty concentrated, and despite it being a good offense through six weeks so far throughout the season, there's not a lot of fantasy options here that are reliable starts other than Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. Okay, so moving on to the Arizona Cardinals. And they totally embarrassed the Dallas Cowboys 38-10 to in Jerry World, and Arizona is 4-2. and Dallas is in the playoffs if the postseason started today at 2-4. and uh, but two and four is good enough to win the NFC East right now. Apparently, you know, God help us all. But Kyler Murray, another strong outing from Murray. That's six straight good outings in a row to open the season for Kyler Murray. 188 passing yards, uh, two touchdowns, one interception, but 10 rushes, 74 rushing yards, and one rushing touchdown. Murray is just on fire for fantasy football, even if he hasn't been that great in real life. It's just been the rushing. I mean, the rushing has been totally phenomenal here. Murray only completed a lousy 37% of his throws in this game. He only completed nine passes in this game. He was nine for 24. Uh, But one of the completions was a beautiful 80-yard bomb to Christian Kirk. He hit 
Kirk in stride over the top of the defense. The ball traveled about probably 40, 50 yards in the air. And his first touchdown was also a shovel pass. Or sorry, not also a shovel pass, but it, it was also to Christian Kirk on a shovel pass. And, and Murray did a lot of damage with his legs in the blowout win. DeAndre Hopkins had a very slow week six. Eight targets, two catches, 73 yards for Nuck Hopkins. He was targeted on 33% of Kyler Murray's 24 throws, which is really good target share uh, percentage there. However, uh, Murray only completed nine passes. So what are you really going to do with that? Um, and he only really needed to complete nine passes. It's not really Murray's fault. He could have been more efficient, but this was a total blowout win. They didn't really need to throw. Luckily, Hopkins was sitting on a real stinker until they couldn't get their connection going at all until a 60-yard gain in the fourth quarter where Hopkins really showed off his blazing speed and looked like he was actually going to score on the play before being tripped up by a defender uh, right before the end zone. And Hopkins, he had also had a first down on a third and 12, called back by a holding penalty. Uh, and for some reason, the, the Murray to Hopkins connection was the only thing not really working on Monday Night Football. Everything else really was, including Christian Kirk, Three targets, two catches, but he made both his catches count with 86 yards and two touchdowns. The first, again, that 80-yard bomb that I mentioned. The second was, actually the first was his jet sweep, like kind of shovel pass. It was like a push pass to the right side, and he beat the defense to the corner. And I think that was like a 13-yard touchdown. And then the second, or no, I should say that it was a six-yard touchdown. I thought it was a little longer when I was watching it, but I'm looking at the numbers right now. And he had an 80-yard touchdown and only 86 receiving yards. So it looks like the first catch was a six-yard touchdown. But either way, he Kirk remains very volatile, but he's now had three solid games in a row. I think it's time to pick him up from free agency. He's a, he's a boomer bust option every week, and this was a boom against a bad secondary here. Uh, let's get to the running game. That was the story of this game, honestly, for the for the Cardinals. And I should have mentioned Kenyon Drake. In my intro of talking about the big blow-up games for week six. But Kenyon Drake. Boy, I'm really starting to dislike the Drake. Hate the Drake. (laughs) Nobody hated the Drake in this game unless they were playing against him. And there was a lot of bad beats on his last 69-yard sprint up the middle when the game was basically over. The Cardinals were just trying to milk the clock on third and 12 with like a minute remaining, but the Dallas defense is either that bad or just giving up. And Drake scored on like a 70-yard run uh, touchdown to swing a lot of fantasy games, like on the last play, basically, of Monday Night Football. And Drake ended with 20 carries, 164 rushing yards, and two touchdowns. No catches on two targets. And he showed next to no involvement in the passing game as usual. And he actually dropped the pass on third down. But this was a good coming out party for Kenyon Drake. This is what we hoped when we drafted him for is the big plays and him getting the majority of the Cardinals uh, carries on a high-octane offense. And yes, this is a great matchup for Drake. But this is what we needed. This is what fantasy managers have been waiting for. Maybe now is the time to sell high if you don't really believe in Kenyon Drake. But he scored, you know, I think four or five touchdowns this season. And this game is going to really help him uh, solidify his fantasy numbers and make it at least worth him worth like an RB2 going forward based on volume alone. As for the Dallas Cowboys, Dak Prescott, his first game that he had to sit out here. Andy Dalton got his first start. And he was very unimpressive, to say the least. 
in his first start sans Dak Prescott in his first start with the Cowboys. And Dalton just did not instill any confidence in that start. 266 passing yards, one touchdown, two interceptions against the Cardinals, who have been a pretty tasty matchup here. The bad throws, there's just so many of them. Like, you couldn't even count them. The turnovers were both his fault. He threw 54 times in the blowout loss. The Cowboys' offensive line did not help. That has been wrecked with injuries. They're already missing offensive tackle Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins. That's their two starting offensive tackles. And then offensive guard Zach Martin, all pro. He exited early in this game, too, after like nine snaps. And the defense is just pathetic. And Zeke lost two fumbles, which I'll talk about in a second. But all these are things actually that Dak Prescott was dealing with, honestly. Like the O-line issues, the bad defense, even the Zeke fumbles. Nothing has really changed in this game. Like a lot of the, the announcers were saying, oh, Dalton hasn't really had a lot of help. Uh, but neither, neither had Dak. I mean, other than the receivers for the Cowboys, the Dallas offense and the supporting catch has just been pitiful. And Dak Prescott was able to overcome that and make the most of it, whereas Andy Dalton is just not nearly as good as Dak Prescott, and we just are seeing you know, what happens when you put Andy Dalton behind a terrible offensive of the line with a running back who just fumbles every other play and a bad defense. And Andy Dalton, he had a late goal line sequence that ended with a one-yard touchdown to Mari Cooper to kind of save his night from total destruction. And Dalton will have better days, but, but this game was pretty problematic. Uh, if it's any indication of what is to come. I think they'll shore some things up, but Dalton just can't be relied upon as anything more than a super flex start here. Uh, Amari Cooper, 10 targets, 7 catches, 79 receiving yards, and a touch. Again, a lot of that came on in garbage time in the 1-yard touchdown with 3 minutes left to play. Cooper was actually stuck at 0 targets deep into the first half. But he was peppered once this game was really out of hand. Again, Dalton attempted 54 throws in this. So, yeah, Amari Cooper better have uh, 10 targets. CeeDee Lamb also had 10 targets. Seven catches, 64 receiving yards in this game. No touchdowns. Uh, His 10 targets were tied with Amari Cooper for second on the team. Behind Zeke's 11 targets. Uh, And, again, Dalton, there's a blowout loss. So, the game script was favorable for Cowboys wide receivers. But this was not a promising effort for the Cowboys wide receivers. I think if it was promising for anyone, it might have been Michael Gallup. And Gallup, you know, he he put out a dud. It was only two catches for 23 yards on six uh, targets. But Gallup, you know, he had a pretty active game. Gallup dropped a would-be 20-yard touchdown in the first half, so his game could have been a lot better. And in a one drive in the second half, he had three goal-line targets from Andy Dalton on the same drive, one of which of those targets sailed over his head. The other two he was interfered with on by a defender and drew pass interference penalties that set Dallas up at first and goal at the one. That's when Amari Cooper ended up scoring. And it felt like Dalton had Gallup on his fantasy team or something for that sequence. He was just forcing up like three fades to Michael Gallup. I guess maybe they liked the defensive back that was on him or something like that, but they just couldn't connect. They also couldn't connect on a deep shot that Dalton overthrew Gallup on. But I think that Dalton kind of likes Michael Gallup, and we weren't really seeing a lot with Dak Prescott, so this is breaking news here. But it wouldn't surprise me if, if Gallup numbers improve and get to you know that kind of CeeDee Lamb or Amari Cooper-esque types of numbers. And, and albeit this is going to be fewer numbers in, in less significant stats with Andy Dalton as opposed to Dak Prescott. But I think... You know, we saw Amari Cooper, and then there was a gap, and then there was CeeDee Lamb, and then there was another gap, and there was Michael Gallup, who was the clear C receiver 
you know, not A or B. He was definitely the Cowboys C receiver here uh, under Dak Prescott. Now with Dalton, I think it's actually going to be like pretty even. Like we don't know who's going to have the best game among the three. I know it seemed like it was Cooper and then Lamb and then Michael Gallup. It seems like it was much of the same here. But just from a game-watching perspective, it seems to me like Michael Gallup has shown the most potential with the quarter and a half that he has played with. Sorry, the game in a quarter. So the five quarters that he's played with Andy Dalton so far. Still, uh, Michael Gallup's nothing more than like a flex or a wide receiver three, and he's a boomer bust guy every week. Uh, let's move on to the running game here. And yuck, this was a total disaster here. It was one of Ezekiel Elliott's worst games as a pro. 12 carries, 49 rushing yards, 8 catches on 11 targets for 31 receiving yards, which not efficient there, but that 8 catches is nice. But two huge fumble losses that really put the game out of hand for Dallas. And that was the big reason why this was such a blow blowout loss was that Zeke lost a pair of fumbles early. Zeke now has four fumbles on the year after losing five fumbles his entire career heading into 2020. And in fact, Zeke now has seven lost fumbles in his last 13 games. And that is not good. And I am worried about it. Tony Pollard, he saw more action after Zeke lost his second fumble. But I'm not even just worried about it from a fumble uh, standpoint. But this depleted offensive line just cannot open up any lanes. The lanes are fewer and further between without Dak Prescott. The defense cannot get them in a positive game script whatsoever. I think, yeah, I'm, I'm actually looking to sell on Ezekiel Elliott. I think a lot of people out there may be trying to buy low after this game. But I, I'm okay with selling Ezekiel Elliott. It just doesn't look like it's going to get much more rosy. I mean, the tackles are really kind of out for the season. I don't really know what Zach Martin's injury is. He may be back soon. But Andy Dalton's going to remain the quarterback for the rest of the year. The Dallas defense is going to stink for the rest of the year. Uh, Dallas still has their bye. They still have Pittsburgh on the schedule. They still have Baltimore on the schedule. I don't know. I, I think it's okay to sell Zeke, and I'm actually looking for it in the two leagues that I have Ezekiel Elliott. So let's move on to the 49ers, and they handled the Rams 24-16. This was a must-win game for San Francisco, seeing as their schedule is just brutal for the next three games. Now the 49ers are 3-3, three and three, the Rams are 4-2, and two, and nobody in the NFC West has a losing record. And there was a lot that happened in this game for the 49ers Beyond just winning, Jimmy Garoppolo started. Not seriously. What's your name, man? Jimmy Garoppolo. My name is Jimmy Garoppolo. After exiting in week five and slash getting benched, he wasn't right with that high ankle sprain. But he had a good game here, and he started out hot. He completed 14 of his first 16 throws and 268 passing yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. For Garoppolo, he was error-free, and he did most of his damage early with 103, 193 passing yards and two touchdowns at halftime. And he seemed to be getting more drive behind his passes. And the Niners, you know, they got the crucial win. Jimmy Garoppolo, he hit George Kittle on a slant that went for 40 yards. George Kittle, another huge game here after kind of a, a, a stinker 
in week five against the Dolphins. Well, everybody really had a stinker in that game. It was just a forgettable game. But 10 targets, 7 catches, 109 receiving yards for George Kittle. And he scored a touchdown. So Kittle, he had the play of the night, scoring on that 44-yard pass from Jimmy Garoppolo. It actually wasn't a slant. It was down the seams here I have in my notes. And he broke a tackle on a slant later, and he went untouched into the end zone. And it was just a great bounce-back game from George Kittle. Debo Samuel, he was the leading 49ers wide receiver in this game. And he had a a devil-like stat line, six catches for 66 receiving yards and a touchdown. And Samuel was involved very early in this game with a pair of catches for 41 yards and a score on the opening drive. So it looked like it was going to be a huge game, but the Niners just really didn't need him after. All of his targets were manufactured like they were right near the line of scrimmage and Samuel just makes the most out of him with his with his yak his yards after the catch ability and Samuel just wasn't needed with the 49ers protecting the lead in the second half and he sealed the game uh, with a fourth quarter catch that kind of iced this game Brandon Ayuk three targets two catches 12 receiving yards but he did have a touchdown it was a quiet night other than the touchdown and it was a third down pass at the two yard line was that score, and he was out-targeted by Debo Samuel and George Kittle. I think that's to be expected going forward. Brandon Ayuk is just going on the fringe of being on a 12-team league rosters at this point, but he's probably worth a hold. Moving on to the 49ers running game here, and their big news here, uh, Raheem Mostert, 17 carries, 65 rushing yards, no touchdowns. That was all in the first half, and that's because... He missed the second half because he had a high ankle sprain, exited at the very end of the first half, and he will miss the next three weeks after being placed on short-term IR. Jermichael Hasty had nine carries for 37 yards. Uh, He got most of the cleanup work against the Rams, playing over Jarek McKinnon, who only had six rushes for 18 yards and two catches for 10 yards. And Jeff Wilson and Tevin Coleman, they were inactive for, the, for this game. Shanahan implied after the game that Hasty provided a spark to the offense. Hasty is definitely somebody to uh, pick up on the waiver wire. It looks like Raheem Mostert is probably going to miss uh, at least probably three weeks. It's, it seems like the Niners are going to put him on the short-term IR. That means he's missing at least three weeks minimum. And that puts him on track to return in week 10. And that's against the Saints. However... The Niners, it's worth noting, they have a week 11 bye week. So are they going to want to be extra cautious with Raheem Mostert and sit him until sit him through that week 11 bye week and he won't be available until week 12? That would be pretty devastating for fantasy managers. But yeah, Jermichael Hasey worth a free agent flyer. And, and Jarek McKinnon, if he got dropped for whatever reason, uh, then he's probably worth, he's obviously worth in addition as well. It looks like this is probably going to be a timeshare without Mostard. But, you know, Tevin Coleman is going to come back at some point. Jeff Wilson will probably be active. Shanahan really likes his timeshare. He really likes riding the hot hand. And he felt that uh, Jermichael Hasty was that hot hand on Sunday night. But hopefully that can be McKinnon. We can get some more clarity in the future. For the Rams, it was a pretty ugly affair here. 198 yards passing for Jared Goff. Two touchdowns, one interception. And you can make the argument Jared Goff played worse than his stats in some respects, but you could also make the argument that he played better than his stats too. Like it was one of those weird games where he looked worse than his numbers, and he was kind of saved by a 40-yard fourth-quarter touchdown 
uh, to Josh Reynolds that kind of saved his night because it was looking really bleak before then. But Goff, you could also make the argument that he could have had a much better game because he was plagued by drops. In Cooper Cup, he dropped a short touchdown, and he also lost a long ball in the lights. Uh, and, and Robert Woods, he also dropped a potential 60-yard touchdown in this game. I wouldn't call it a 60-yard touchdown, but it was like a 60-yard throw late in this game. And his interception, uh, Jared Goff, came on a pass that he forced into the end zone. And that was the play after Cooper Cup dropped his touchdown. So that was like a 8-point fantasy swing or a 6-point fantasy swing, depending on what your scoring is, for Jared Goff there. Robert Woods, he caught a short touchdown in this game. Four catches, 29 receiving yards on 10 targets. And Woods, he scored on a 10-yard pass in the back of the end zone. He was held in check after that until he dropped a would-be, it was a 66-yard catch it would have been near the end of the game where it was just right in his hands and he was fading out of bounds and he just couldn't corral it for whatever reason. It was just a bad night for the Rams pass catchers, Cooper Cup included. He had only 11 yards in this game, so a terrible game from Cooper Cup. He also dropped a short touchdown. He also had a, a pass. It was a deep ball that was, he kind of lost in the lights. Nine targets for Cup, three catches for 11 yards. It could have been a much bigger game, uh, and that drop that he had was at a very key point in the game but Cooper Cup he will get more going forward at least the Rams receivers had opportunities they just kind of failed uh, on their own volition there Tyler Higby uh, a little bit better this week eight PPR points three catches for 56 yards uh, Higby had a little bit of a larger role it was an okay night on a, on a game that where Jared Goff threw for under 200 passing yards so the 50 yards 56 yards pretty good but his 10 percent target share was still very low I think Tyler Higby, the only way you're really starting him is if you have no other tight ends in free agency, which that very well may be the case. Uh, as for the Rams' running game, Cam Akers, he played kind of. Uh, he didn't have any touches, and he played only a few snaps. And it's possible that Akers just isn't fully healthy yet. Daryl Henderson was the feature back, 14 carries, 88 rushing yards, so he was very efficient once again. He looks like the Rams' best back by far. He also had a short touchdown called back by a holding penalty. I think that's the second straight week in a row, uh, or maybe it's the second game in two and ga- three outings that Henderson had a touchdown called back by penalty. Malcolm Brown, only two carries for four yards, three catches, 18 yards. He was the clear number two back, but he just didn't do much. He, and he hasn't done much since his week one breakout, just, just like last year, which is really weird. So let's move on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They stomped the Green Bay Packers 38 to 10. And Green Bay is 4 and 1 now. Tampa is 4 and 2. And in first place in the NFC South, Green Bay actually second in their division behind the 5 and 1 Bears. Green Bay's already had their bye. For Tom Brady, 166 passing yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Brady was a game manager in this game. He was not asked to do much with the Bucks defense just totally wrecking the Packers offense and Brady found his longtime partner, Rob Gronkowski, for five catches, 78 receiving yards, and a score. Uh, He looked to Gronk often. Chris Godwin returned in this game. Ronald Jones, he handled the offense with 23 carries for 113 rushing yards and two touchdowns. So Brady just kind of, with great defense and great running game, just kind of managed the game well. Uh, Mike Evans did not do much. Two targets, one catch, 10 yards, total stinker. 
from Mike Evans. And some of the blame can be attributed to Jari Alexander's lockdown coverage, the cornerback for Green Bay. He is just so good, a shutdown corner. Uh, and it's a true rarity in today's NFL. But the reality is that Evans has now seen a 10% target share in the three games with Chris Godwin and a 22% target share in the three games without. So Evans has been living off touchdowns this season. He is the ultimate boom or bust play. Uh, Chris Godwin, seven targets, five catches, 48 receiving yards, no scores in this game. So not a great day from Godwin in his return from that hamstring issue. Uh, He's missed the last two games there. And Godwin has at least six targets in all three games that he has played this year. And he avoided Jari Alexander's shadow coverage and finished second on the team in targets, I believe, behind Rob Gronkowski. For the running game here, Ronald Jones, another huge game. It's his third big game in a row for Ronald Jones. Third straight 100-yard rushing game for Ronald Jones. And he has handled 71 of the 90 backfield touches in the last three weeks. 23 carries, 113 rushing yards, two touchdowns. He got the final drive off of this game because Keyshawn Vaughn came in in the blowout win when Blaine Gabbard came in to ice the game. Both of Jones' touchdowns runs were from within the five-yard line. So great stuff. A week-winning week from Ronald Jones there. And, of course, Leonard Fournette was inactive uh, for this game, as was LaShawn, no, actually, I believe LaShawn McCoy did play in this game. I don't have any numbers for McCoy, uh, so if he did play, he didn't do much. But uh, Leonard Fournette inactive for this game. He was a game-time decision to end up being uh, a scratch there. As for Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, this was a total disaster. Hundred sixty passing yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. Rodgers was benched with six minutes remaining in the in the game because the Packers just kind of threw in the towel, trailing thirty eight to ten without their stud left tackle David Bakhtiari. He got hurt in this game, and the Packers only registered nine first downs, and they were just totally dismantled by the Bucks defense. Rodgers was under duress all game. He took six sacks. He forced throws into double coverage. His receivers couldn't really get open. He he even threw a pick six in this game, a real rarity for Aaron Rodgers. And it was a total disaster of performance that kind of ended his MVP campaign here, uh, at least for the foreseeable future. Devontae Adams, he returned from two games, missed with a hamstring issue. 10 targets, 6 catches, 61 scoreless yards. And Adams has now seen double-digit targets in 11 of 12 games since returning from an injury in Week 9 of last year. Rodgers, he was just off today, but they had a couple plays where they showed their chemistry. Uh, They displayed it kind of clicking near the uh, line of scrimmage. And at the second level, that was the only uh, thing the Packers really could do. And Adams' 28.5% target share in his first game back from an injury is a good sign, albeit in a blowout loss. Robert Tanyan, I have to talk about him now because he is fantasy-relevant. Four targets, three catches, 25 receiving yards. He wasn't that relevant in this game, but he exited for a short stint in the second quarter, but returned in the second half. He saw an 11.4% target share on the afternoon where Rodgers was off and Devontae Adams returned from his industry. Not, uh, not from his industry, from his injury. Not that great, but I would be holding on to Robert Tanyan because of the horrific state of the tight ends in fantasy football right now. And even worse, now that uh, we had a couple injuries, including uh, one to Jonu Smith and, and Zach Ertz, not that he was doing much, but Jonu Smith was. And so now tight end is even worse 
than it was before. So Robert Tanyan, probably worth a hold, and honestly, probably a top 12 tight end play each week, which is a sad state of affairs there. As for the Packers running game, Aaron Jones, 10 rushes, 15 yards, but he did get a goal line score. And this was actually after Aaron Rodgers' rushing touchdown was negated. Rodgers looked like he had scored on like a sneak, and I actually thought that Rodgers did score on the play, but Aaron Jones, it was negated. Aaron Jones ended up plunging in because he always scores a touchdown in every game. It is just a rule of fantasy football. And But that was really his only highlight in this game against a uh, very strong Tampa Bay run defense that just is bottled up every running back that they have faced. And this was an ugly blowout loss. 26 receiving yards on three catches for Jones. So this might go down as one of his worst games of the season. But he was lucky to get the score. And that's what Aaron Jones does. Moving on to the Miami Dolphins. They shut out the New York Jets 24-0. to um, I'm wondering, was this the first shutout of the season? I'm not, I'm trying to think of other shutouts here. I know that the Bengals kicked a field goal late against the Ravens last week. And it just pissed them off uh, because they took away the shutout from the Ravens. But I think this is the first shutout of the year. I may, there may have been one or two more. But this is the first one that I can remember at least and, of course, it comes against the Jets. It's possible the Jets have already been shut out before this season. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Uh, the Dolphins are 3-3, three and three, nevertheless. The Jets are 0-6. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, he I'll, I'll call him Fitzmagic in this game. He, he kept it up with three touchdowns in this game, but he had two interceptions, 191 passing yards. He threw all of his touchdowns in the first half, so it looked like it was going to be a huge day. But this was just an easy win against the hapless Jets who couldn't do anything. Obviously, they couldn't even score a point with Joe Flacco at quarterback, so there was no need to press any matters. And now the big news is that the Dolphins are turning to Tua Tungavailoa. So I hope you enjoyed the ride for Ryan Fitz magic here. He, he was a total loser in week one where he just put up a total dud against New England. We thought the Tua days were going to be coming sooner than later. But then in weeks two through three through week six, in a five-game sample size, I believe Ryan Fitzmagic was a top eight quarterback in PPR, uh, not in PPR, in points per game, PPG there. So pretty impressive stint by Ryan Fitzpatrick. If you drafted him as like your backup quarterback or your super flex quarterback you or you've been streaming him in the last couple weeks i'm sorry to say that that is over but you did get what you paid for i am sure of it uh fitzmagic has been pretty great and he's going to be a great mentor to to a tongue of iloa the dolphins have their bye this week and then they uh have their next game against the rams in week eight so they're going to give Tua two weeks to prepare here and uh yeah good for them i guess it's just kind of uh, strange, I guess, as they're playing all along, it's strange that the Dolphins are three and three and one game back from the lead in the AFC East. They're actually ahead of the Patriots right now in the AFC East, and they are in the playoff run. I mean, the play the thick of things for the uh, AFC playoffs. Uh, remember, there's seven teams that make it in the AFC and uh, the NFC this year. So the Dolphins theoretically are fighting for a playoff spot, but they uh, don't care about that. It's a long game with Tua Tungavailoa, and he will be starting. In week eight, so you can go grab him off for free agency waiver wire if you are playing in a super flex league. Otherwise, I don't think uh, there's any need to do that. 
because it is highly doubtful that it'll put up the numbers that Ryan Fitzmagic was posting. As for the Dolphins wide receivers, Preston Williams, three targets, two catches, 18 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, but his three targets were tied for fourth on the team. Uh, but he did catch his third touchdown in four weeks. He's like really borderline 12-team rosterable right now. Uh, Devon, and probably I would lean towards even no with Tua coming back. And it, seeing as it's a bye week for the Dolphins this week, I, I think you can go ahead and cut him if you need the spot. Devontae Parker, do not cut him. Uh, eight targets, three catches, 35 receiving yards. I say don't cut him just because a lot of people may want to with Tua coming in and being the Dolphins' bye week and he's coming off this bad game. Uh, but Fitzpatrick's touchdowns just didn't go to him. They went to two tight ends and Preston Williams. So this is a disappointing out, uh, outing in a plus matchup for Devontae Parker against the Jets. But I still think he's the best receiver on the Dolphins. He'll have the bye week to get even healthier as he's been dealing with an injury this year. And you never know, he may be Tua's favorite target. So we will see. Mike Jasicki. Crickets. Zero catches on two targets in this game. The goose egg was depressing considering that it was against the Jets. And even more depressing considering that both fellow tight ends, Adam Shaheen and Durham Smythe. Yeah, that's that's a guy. He They both caught short touchdowns, but Jasicki did not. And he's been one of the more frustrating tight ends in the league just because he's you, you can't bench him really because of his chances of blowing up each week. But more often than not, he's a total bust. He's had two blow-up games this year. And the rest have just kind of been weak. As for the Dolphins' run game here, Miles Gaskin, probably his best game to date, even though he didn't find the end zone here. His most efficient game, I will say. 18 carries, 91 scoreless yards, Four, four catches for 35 yards on four targets. And the Dolphins were just crushing the Jets 24-0. So Gaskin was just able to set a season high in rushing yards and I believe in carries as well. And he has at least 20 touches in three of his last four games uh, as the workhorse for the Dolphins. I'm looking at his game log right now. This is not actually his season high in touches, the 18 carries. He had 22 carries in week three against the Jacksonville Jaguars. But this was Gaskin's most efficient game. Hopefully the holes will still be there when Tua uh, comes back and they don't change the offense too much in terms of getting maybe Matt Breda more involved. And Gaskin continues to be the workhorse there because he is an every week running back too. And by the way, you know, fantasy managers that have Miles Gaskin got a real break it seemed like Le'Veon Bell was down to two teams to choose from, and he would have really taken over Gaskin's role um, or and starting job if he went to Miami. And those two teams he was choosing between the Miami Dolphins and the Kansas City Chiefs uh, at the very end. So good news that he went to become a Chief as opposed to a Dolphin there if you have Miles Gaskin on your rosters. As for the Jets, Sam Darnold did not play, so Joe Flacco started again, and he was piss poor as expected. Jamison Crowder... 13 targets, which is nice, but only 7 catches, 48 yards. This was his first not 100-yard game, but you knew that was coming with Joe Flacco starting here. Flacco is is cooked. Prashad Perriman, he returned in this game from like a 4-week absence. 8 targets, 4 catches, 62 yards. I think he's worth a flyer in a free agency. If you want to pick him up in maybe a PPR league, maybe you're just desperate at receiver. I think maybe if Sam Darnold comes back sooner than later, which we don't really know. 
Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Jets just kind of milk out this Joe Flacco situation because they want the first overall pick, of course, and they're probably tanking at this point with Adam Gaze. But if Sam Darnold comes back soon, then this may be a beneficial situation for Jamison Crowder. I mean, for well, definitely for Jamison Crowder, but definitely for uh, Brashad Perriman as well. Although Perriman and Flacco have played together uh, before, albeit not to really any success there. Joe Flacco averaged a pitiful 4.2 yards per attempt in this game. And, and Jamison Crowder has actually received double-digit targets in all four games that he's played this year. This was his worst game. But he's just like an every-week wide receiver three uh, and PPR kind of gold right there. The fact that his worst game was still 11 PPR points, pretty good from Jamison Crowder considering the circumstances on this terrible team with their terrible quarterback and their terrible coach. As for the Jets' running game, you know, Le'Veon Bell, he got cut and he signed with Kansas City. And so now the running game was left up to Frank Gore and LaMichael James. And I say that uh, confusingly, not because I forgot LaMichael James' name, but mainly because I was looking at his name here and I didn't realize that's how he spelled LaMichael. That is that is an interesting way of spelling it there uh, with the Y and the C-H-A, whatever it is. Uh, but anyway, LaMichael James, he actually led the team in snaps here and also led the team in touches for running backs here. So I think that he's probably worth a free agency ad, but I wouldn't feel really comfortable using him as long as Joe Flacco is the quarterback there. But he's a nice little depth piece uh, as you know they try to get the younger players more involved and hopefully phase out the age-old Frank Gore. So moving on to the Denver Broncos, they upset the New England Patriots 18-12. to That's an odd score. And both teams are now 2-3. and three. Uh, The Patriots, 2-3. and three. Wow. Um, anyway, Drew Locke, it was his first game back from a two-week absence uh, with this shoulder injury. It was a three-week absence if you include the bye week. And Locke was questionable actually going into this game. And he gifted the Patriots interceptions on back-to-back throws in the fourth quarter, trying to get the Patriots back into this game when Denver had a lead all game. But luckily, the Denver defense held strong, and they got the win. Drew Locke was not playing without much support. Um, or Sorry, he was playing without a lot of support. Double negative there. Uh, Melvin Gordon was out. K.J. Hamler was out. Cortland Sutton obviously out for the season. And Noah Fant was also out for this game. And it was also against the Patriots, of course. So... Drew Locke, you know, all he could really muster in this offense was six field goals from Brandon McManus. That's how they got to 18. Cortland Sutton, uh, no reason to talk about him. I don't know why I brought him up. He's out for the season with the torn ACL. But it made Jerry Judy more promising as an option. But Jerry Judy just not has really ta- has not really taken advantage of it. Uh, he was on Stephon Gilmore's coverage in this game, so not a lot to work with here. Only five targets, two catches for 32 receiving yards no touchdowns in this game Jared Judy's more of a bench player at this point not really startable right I mean I guess he's startable as like a flex option but he's more, I like him better on the bench as like a, a really nice depth piece uh, Drew Locke by the way only really a two quarterback option until he proves otherwise and gets some of his weapons back uh, the Broncos just ran very often in this game with a surprising lead Tim Patrick six targets four catches 101 Yards. He's kind of a big play threat, and he's he looks like Drew Locke's like de facto number one wide receiver. He's outplaying Jerry Judy lately. I think he's worth an add 
because uh, I think he's going to post similar numbers to Jerry Judy throughout the rest of the season. And so if Jerry Judy's worth it being on rosters, then, then Tim Patrick is as well. Both of them are, are better served on benches, but maybe it's like a bi-week filler or death from like an injury or something like that. Noah Fant did not play in this game because of an ankle injury. Melvin Gordon did not play because of he had COVID and he also got arrested for a DUI. The team said they were not going to discipline him, but the league may suspend him for a game or two. Philip Lindsay looks great in his absence. Lindsay was returning from a turf toe injury and rushed really well against the Patriots. He had 23 carries, 101 scoreless yards here. He did not have a target. Royce Freeman did play 39% of the snaps and saw eight carries. But Philip Lindsay, definitely worth an add if he was dropped in free agency because I think Melvin Gordon may get suspended for a game or two, and Lindsay will be the number one running back once again in that scenario, at least for the time being. Uh, I, I don't think this is good news for Melvin Gordon, who now may have to share more carries with a healthy Philip Lindsay. So not a great situation if you roster Melvin Gordon on your fantasy teams. As for the Patriots, Cam Newton, a very slow day passing, 157 passing yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. He did have 76 yards on the ground and a score on the ground, but Newton struggled in this game. He took four sacks. He was coming up short on a comeback after you know consecutive turnovers to set New England up to win this game. And Newton has just thrown for under 200 passing yards in three of his four starts. And the Patriots had to reshuffle their offensive line with just so many injuries that they've had to their offensive line. That's made life difficult for Cam Newton, as has his lack of supporting cast. Patriots have no good uh, tight ends that can catch the ball, and their receivers looked a little washed, and that includes Julian Edelman. Uh, six catches, or sorry, six, I wish six catches. Six targets, two catches, eight yards. Yikes. Edelman, he's been held under six targets in each of the last three weeks. He has just seven catches and zero scores over the last three weeks, and today... It just wasn't good, or Sunday, it just wasn't better, even with Cam Newton back. The Patriots, they look sluggish and run heavy on offense. And Julian Edelman, ever since his breakout game in week two, he looks like he's just playing hurt, or he's just not himself, or maybe he's just old. Either way, Nikhil Harry is young, but he's not doing anything. Total goose egg on two targets. James White actually led the team in receiving in this game, and Demir Bird, three catches, 38 yards. He actually outplayed Nikhil Harry. Nikhil Harry is definitely droppable, and I advise dropping him in all 12-team leagues. As for the running game, Damian Harris, only six carries, 19 rushing yards, one catch for 14 yards. Harris struggled early and fell out of the game playing with the Patriots trailing in the second half, and with all their offensive line, they just couldn't open up any holes um, just because they had to, they have so many injuries along the offensive line. They're reshuffling the whole unit. James White led the running backs in fantasy points for the Patriots, mainly because of his receiving uh, as a checkdown option for Cam Newton. I think that both James White and Damian Harris are worth holding on your roster, but I just don't really feel comfortable starting them unless it's just like this great matchup, which we haven't really seen lately. Moving on to the Giants. They held on to get their first win of the season against the Washington football team, 20-19. Both teams are now 1-5, and and only one game back from first place in the NFC East. So both teams right in the playoff hunt, right where they want to be, because that is all it takes in the NFC is to just be 1-5, and you are officially in the playoff hunt. 
Daniel Jones, not that great. Once again, 112 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception, but he did have seven carries for 74 rushing yards in this game. And Jones threw a perfectly placed ball to Darius Slayton in the first half that resulted in the Giants' only offensive score of the day. They had a fumble six in this game. And, and Jones had multiple long runs. He had a 49-yard run down the sideline. So he's got that sneaky athleticism that they always, the commentators always talk about uh, for white quarterbacks. And the Giants only ran 48 snaps in this game. So not ideal from a play count perspective at all. Darius Slayton was the leading receiver here. Golden Tate played. Sterling Shepard was out. So Slayton, the best receiver on the Giants, Four targets, two catches, 41 yards, but the touchdown. And again, Slayton came into this game with a foot injury, and it clearly had an impact on his play. He left the field limping in the second half, but returned a few plays later. He also limped after his beautiful touchdown on an impressive route that saw him get behind the defense and catch a perfectly placed ball from Daniel Jones. Uh, The Giants, again, only played 48 snaps, so not a lot of opportunities here for Darius Slayton. Evan Ingram, another total dud, three targets, two catches, 30 yards against the Washington football team. Ingram has now been targeted five times in the past two games. It is probably time to move on from Evan Ingram. But if you look at the tight ends, the state of the tight ends and free agency, you may not be able to do any better. So I don't know. It's a tough call there. But the Giants, their offense has scored more than 20 points just once all year. And they're not getting anything done if they're only playing 48 snaps a game. So, yeah, bad stuff for Evan Ingram. He is not fitting into this Jason Garrett offense well at all. Devonta Freeman led the Giants running backs in touches. And he had every running back carry in this game, but only about 50, 60 yards in this game. So not much there. He's a great bench piece to have as the starting running back for just an NFL team. But he's not somebody that I like trotting out unless the matchup is there. The only real thing he's done all season is score against the Cowboys. And everybody's scoring against the Cowboys right now. But I do like him as a bye week filler or a depth piece at the end of my bench. I think there are way worse running backs that you could have on your team. As for Washington, Kyle Allen started this game for Dwayne Haskins and over Alex Smith. And Terry McLaurin. Had a pretty solid game here, considering the circumstances with Kyle Allen and considering that James Bradbury is the pro football focus rated number one corner in all of football. And he's just been a shut, he's been shutting down receivers left and right, even really talented receivers. He shut down Amari Cooper a couple weeks ago, and now uh, he was matched up with Terry McLaurin in this game. But McLaurin had a strong game. Well, considering the circumstances, 12 targets. Five, sorry, seven catches, 74 receiving yards. It was scoreless yards, but McLaurin's really been a bright spot in a bad offense all year. He's seen at least seven targets in every game, and he's topped 60 receiving yards in all but one game. And he gets a few deep looks each game as well. So we like Terry McLaurin going forward as a, a weekly number two receiver. Logan Thomas, the tight end, he caught a touchdown. In this game, he had about 48 yards, but it was only on four targets. So I'm not getting too, too excited about it yet, even though it is Kyle, it was Kyle Allen's first start that he actually finished this season. But I'm, I'm not really pulling the trigger on Logan Thomas in free agency yet, despite some early hype uh, earlier on the season, even by me. 
Uh, but I, I'm going to wait to see if it happens again before I act on that. Uh, Antonio Gibson, nine rushes, 30 rushing yards, four catches, 25 receiving yards, no touchdowns. And Gibson has just been relegated to committee duties once again. J.D. McKissick saw more targets than Antonio Gibson and had eight carries in this game. And Kyle Allen, you know, he has a propensity to dump the ball off. And, and he had 12 running back targets in this game. Peyton Bar- Barber saw three carries as well. It's just kind of a cluster here, and mainly it's just a timeshare between J.D. McKissick and Antonio Gibson, so it's tough to trust either of them, but both of them should be rostered in 12-team leagues. Of course, preferably just not started. Maybe J.D. McKissick at the end or as the flex spot of a PPR league, and Antonio Gibson, you know, maybe the same kind of play there, but it just seems like they're kind of canceling each other out, for lack of better words. Moving on to the Chicago Bears game. They improved to 5-1 and one with a win over the Panthers, 23-16. Carolina is now 3-3. Three and three. And Allen Robinson, Nick Foles just kind of managed the game, I should say. But Allen Robinson, 9 targets, 5 catches, 53 receiving yards, no touchdowns. So not a great day for A-Rob. The Bears were actually leading on the scoreboard for the majority of the contest, which sounds like it should be not that surprising considering the fact that they are 5-1, and one, but they have come from behind in almost every game this season that they've won. But there was really no need to push the envelope here with the Bears winning all game. It was a defensive kind of slugfest here. And Allen Robinson, the 53 yards, it's, you know, it's ho-hum, but Allen Robinson is an every week low-end receiver one going forward. Uh, there's really no other Bears pass catchers to talk about. It's not worth talking about Nick Foles as well. So David Montgomery... 19 rushes, 58 rushing yards, four catches, 39 receiving yards, no touchdowns. And this is actually Montgomery's second best rushing and receiving total of the season. Ew, David. Ew, David is right. And he was actually a few inches short from converting a touchdown that Nick Foles ended up plunging in for. Uh, and, and Montgomery, you know, he can't even thrive against one of the worst run defenses in the league in a game that they had positive game script for almost the entire game the Bears did. If he can't thrive in that situation, then I just don't know what situation he's going to thrive in. I mean, Tariq Cohen has been out. His receiving numbers are up. But it just seems like impossible for David Montgomery to break like a long run for a touchdown and have like a breakout game where it's like 120 yards and like two touchdowns. Like that's just not in the realm of outcomes for David Montgomery. Every week you play Montgomery, it just kind of saps the soul out of what upside is in fantasy football. And it's, you know, he's always giving you, you know, 80 total yards and probably not a touchdown. Like, yeah, you'll get eight points if you play David Montgomery. It's not like the end of the world, but this is obviously, you know, you're wanting more considering that Tariq Cohen is out for the year and the Bears are somehow five and one. Uh, yet we're still not, Montgomery's barely passing off as an RB2, and it's just purely based on volume, not skill, not situation, not anything else. So, yeah, I mean, Montgomery is like the definition of, uh, you know, meh in fantasy football, but there are worse options because he is getting the touches, and you can trot him out there and get, you know, 8 to 12 PPR points each week. As for the Panthers, Teddy Bridgewater was uncharacteristically inaccurate. In this game, he had a vital miss on fourth and two to a wide open DJ Moore, and that was a critical play in that game. And the Bears 
pass rush just frequently got the better of the Panthers' offensive line, forcing Teddy Bridgewater to scramble for more rushing yards than you would think. Teddy Bridgewater had eight carries for 48 rushing yards in this game, and the passing numbers were not good. 216 passing yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. But the rushing was a nice consolation from a quarterback who doesn't typically like to run, but this was just a tough matchup against a good Bears defense, and Bridgewater just had a bad game. I mean, there's no other way to say it. Uh, DJ Moore, with Curtis Samuel out, had 93 receiving yards for the second week in a row. This time it was on five catches instead of four catches, but this time it was on 11 targets instead of five targets that we saw last week. And Moore, he created plenty of separation on a vital fourth and two that I talked about, uh, but Teddy just missed him. That could have gone for a, a decent size gain. But Moore also committed two drops in this game, so it wasn't all Teddy's fault. Robbie Anderson, the number one Panthers receiver, did not play like the number one receiver in this game. He was more like a number two in this game. 77 receiving yards on four catches on five targets. Curtis Samuel was out once again. Uh, he had 39 receiving yards on one vertical shot, but didn't receive the volume in a tough matchup. Uh, despite not having Samuel there, DJ Moore was looked at as the number one receiver in this game. Could it be the turning of the tide? We don't really know. I still view Robbie Anderson as the number one receiver on this team. Uh, as for, for the running game, Christian McCaffrey was out once again. It looks like Christian McCaffrey is going to miss week seven as well. And I also think he's going to miss week eight, which is a short week. That's a Thursday night football game in week eight. I know that's looking ahead. But I think McCaffrey will miss the next two weeks and then come back in full force in week nine from his high ankle sprain. In the meantime, Mike Davis still putting up pretty good numbers. 18 carries, 52 rushing yards, not a lot in the receiving game. And he did have a fumble loss, but he did score a touchdown in this game. And Davis dealt with an ankle injury of his own uh, in that afternoon. And he had the costly fumble, but he was on the sideline constantly kind of retaping himself on multiple occasions. And the offense just failed to get in sync against a tough Bears defense. So he did score the touchdown, but Mike Davis will continue to be a running back one uh, in the next game or two that Christian McCaffrey misses. Okay, let's move on to the Colts and Bengals game. That was a shocking game there. The Colts came from behind to rally and beat the Bengals, who stormed out to a 21-0 lead in the second quarter. Final score, 31-27. And the Colts are now 4-2 in a two-team race in the AFC South with the Tennessee Titans, who are undefeated. The Bengals, unfortunately, now 1-4-1. And Phillip Rivers was the star of this game for the Indianapolis Colts. Shockingly, 371 passing yards in this game, three touchdowns, one interception. And this was Rivers' best game as a Colt. He surged back from that 21-0 deficit in the second quarter, rallied his team to win. He, he did toss a fourth-quarter interception into double coverage, but he hit Marcus Johnson, who had 100 yards in this game, for several splash plays and hooked up with Zach Pascal for uh, a score prior to the half. He also found Trey Burton and Jack Doyle for his tight ends for other short scores. T.Y. Hilton. Oh, I think it's time to move on now. Five targets, one catch, 11 yards. He's one of the biggest busts in all of fantasy football. Hilton did have a touchdown negated by a penalty, an eligible offensive lineman downfield. However, the 30-year-old, he's just out of excuses at this point, and he just lacks explosion. There's no chemistry with Phillip Rivers. And meanwhile, Marcus Johnson, you know, this no-name player 
Five catches, 108 yards for Johnson. He had a big game. Zach Pascal, uh, I mentioned he scored as well. So Hilton, he's just failed to reach 70 receiving yards in a single game all year. I just don't think it's meant to be. If you have, if you need a cut bait for a, an attractive free agent, then go ahead and do so. I think the time uh, you know, is more past than due. I tried to give him extra chances, and it looked like it was going to be promising after a promising game in Week 5 where he had 12 PPR points. But it's just not happening for Philip I mean, for Philip Rivers and for T.Y. Hilton mainly this season. Moving on to the running game here. And Jonathan Taylor, a pretty quiet game here, but it wasn't really his fault. 12 carries, 60 yards. So he averaged 5 yards a pop. 4 catch, catches for 55 receiving yards, which is good. But he only handled 12 carries because the Colts trailed 21-0 uh, in midway through the second quarter. So they weren't really interested in running the ball. He, but he did. The workload was good based on the situation in terms of the ratios here or the shares here. He handled 12 of 13 running back carries for this team, and he had 16 of 22 backfield touches, which is a season high for Jonathan Taylor. This was an exploitable matchup, and, and, and it could have been a bigger day against the Bengals had the Colts not allowed this early deficit. So it was, also, it was frustrating from that end, but Naeem Hines... He just looks like he's going to be, he didn't even get a carry in this game. And he had five catches for 27 yards. Hines is getting phased out of this offense for the rookie, Jonathan Taylor. And I think Jonathan Taylor is going to be a second-half stud this year. He's, he's kind of a great buy-low right now if you want to go put out some feelers for trading for Jonathan Taylor. As for the Bengals, as for the Bengals, Joe Burrow had a rushing touchdown in this game, 313 passing yards. But his quarterback sneak, other than that, you know, it was really just all the passing yards. He had no passing touchdowns in this game. And they got out to a 21-0 first-half lead against a strong Colts defense on the back of three rushing touchdowns, one of them being that quarterback sneak by Burrow. One was a Gio Bernard uh, red zone run, and one was Joe Mixon. Uh, but the Bengals relinquished that lead, of course. But Burrow, he made a living getting the ball downfield to T. Higgins and hitting A.J. Green on slants. It wasn't a great game for Burrow, but you probably weren't starting him anyway because the Colts' defense had been so good leading into this game. It was not a favorable matchup. But somehow, some way, A.J. Green had his best game of the season. 11 targets, 8 catches, 96 receiving yards, uh, no touchdowns, but, it, but he actually dropped a 50-yard catch uh, from Burrow. Uh, Burrow slightly underthrew it. But Green did drop it, and the Bengals, they just finally used A.J. Green properly, transitioning him into the slot at times and also using his lengthy frame and reliable hands, except for that drop, of course, to move the chains uh, like kind of like a chain mover on slant routes rather than forcing him to separate downfield, which he just has proven he cannot do because he is uh, pretty washed and he is elderly uh, in in the football sense. Tyler Boyd. Did not have a great game here. Eight targets, five catches, 54 receiving yards. He did have one rush for 25 yards, which was nice. But he was the third option in this game behind T. Higgins and A.J. Green. It would not be good for Tyler Boyd's fantasy stock if A.J. Green uh, started becoming more involved in this offense. Uh, It looked like he was getting phased out for a minute there. But if he gets more intertwined here, then uh, Tyler Boyd, it's going to be a Tyler Boyd's expense here. It probably won't be at T. Higgins' expense because T. Higgins is the deep threat for this team. And A.J. Green probably be used more as a possession receiver like he should be at this point. 
Uh, T. Higgins, eight targets, six catches, 125 yards. He had a 65-yard catch down the sideline that set up an early Joe Mixon touchdown. Uh, A.J. Green, again, he did have eight targets, so he reemerged. But Higgins looks like he may be Joe Burrow's primary receiver in the second half of this season, even as a rookie. So Joe Mixon um, had a pretty solid game, I should say. He got the volume once again, 18 carries, two catches for 15 yards there, 18 carries for 54 yards. He did have a goal line touchdown. I think it was from four yards out. Uh, where he punched it in. It got reviewed, so I got nervous for a second there because it seems like every time Joe Mixon scores, it gets reviewed by officials. Um, I know every touchdown is technically under review, but uh, you know what I mean. They have, they have to really see if that's going to be a touchdown or not. It was close, but Mixon did end up getting in. He did exit for a short period and was able to return after halftime. I believe it's an ankle injury. So maybe Gio Bernard is worth a waiver wire scoop up if you have Joe Mixon to maybe handcuff him uh, handcuff him here. Joe Gio Bernard did score before Mixon got hurt. He scored on a similar touchdown. It was an inside run on third down inside the five-yard line. It was the Bengals' first touchdown. Uh, it looked like it was going to be a very frustrating day for Joe Mixon at first. But he did come through in the clutch with the score, and he got the volume because the Bengals were trying to ice away this win. But they couldn't do that. The Colts ended up coming back. So we'll have to manage or we'll have to see what Joe Mixon's injury looks like. Hopefully he's just questionable for the game and he ends up playing in week seven. Okay, moving on to the Steelers, the another AFC North team here. Uh, the Steelers destroyed the Browns. 38-7 to was the final score. Pittsburgh is one of three undefeated teams along with the Titans and Seahawks. The Steelers are 5-0. Cleveland is now 4-2, which is impressive, but they are clearly not ready to win the tough AFC North division. And Big Ben, 162 passing yards, one touchdown. Pretty slow day from Big Ben here. And the Browns, and that's because the Browns didn't put up a fight. So Big Ben, just all he had to do was just manage the game and coast to an easy win. The 22 with passing attempts were a season low for Big Ben, and his touchdown was to James Washington. Uh, Deontay Johnson was out in this game, which you would have thought helped Juju Smith-Schuster. However, Smith-Schuster, six receiving yards on two catches, only four targets. And the Steelers, they crushed the Browns, so they didn't really need to throw the ball. But Big Ben... You know, still hit James Washington for four catches, 68 yards and a touch. And Chase Claypool had 74 yards on four catches. So the the bad game from Juju Smith-Schuster, not really excusable here. And this has been a really disappointing season from Juju Smith-Schuster. It's about that point where, you know, he's honestly benchable at this point if you haven't started benching him already. But that being said, I don't think he's cuttable yet in 12-team formats. Uh, we don't want to jump the gun there because we know Juju Smith-Schuster has shown his talent before. Uh, Deontay Johnson, again, he missed this game. So Chase Claypool was in another good spot start here. Claypool, four, only four targets in a low-volume passing day, but four catches, so perfectly efficient, 74 receiving yards, and one rushing touchdown. This is the second straight game with a rushing touchdown. Uh, the Steelers really like to get Claypool involved on those jet sweeps near the goal line, which is really nice. Um, and it, it helps kind of free up James Conner. They ended up using James Conner on a, a goal line score late when they were faking it to chase Claypool. So Claypool, you know, he had a sensational grab that actually set up the Steelers inside the five-yard line. It looks like he is here to stay, although it's worth noting uh, or it's worth mentioning that Deontay Johnson was out again, and uh, we will see uh, how Deontay Johnson's 
presence will impact Chase Claypool. As for James Conner, 20 rushes. He had a workhorse day here. 20 rushes, 101 rushing yards, and one touchdown. Only one catch for one yard. Conner has now posted three 100-yard games and has scored in all four games since his opening clunker. And his touchdown was a goal line plunge, as I mentioned. And he just kind of churned away yardage in the blowout win. It was obviously positive and favorable game script for James Conner. Yeah, almost. As for the Cleveland Browns, it was a disaster performance here. Obviously, they only put up seven points. Baker Mayfield, 119 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. You likely weren't starting him anyway against the Steelers in him being questionable with the rib injury, but he probably shouldn't have played in this game altogether. Mayfield just got wrecked by the Steelers' defense. He threw a pick early, or sorry, a pick six early, and he absorbed four sacks before being benched late in the third quarter for Case Keenum when the score was 31-7. to uh, Obviously, the passing game is going to struggle in this atmosphere here, and, and it did. Odell Beckham, two catches for 25 yards on four targets. Baker Mayfield just so awful in this one, playing through the injury and eventually getting benched, as I mentioned. So it's not going to be good for the passers, I mean, for the receivers here. Jarvis Landry, three catches, 40 yards on five targets. Landry is also playing through a rib injury of his own. He also has a hip injury that he's working through. Uh, Landry just didn't do much in the blowout loss, and he also just doesn't look 100% healthy. So bad quarterback play, not 100% healthy on his own end. So not a just good, not a good situation. Austin Hooper had 50 yards in this game. He is definitely worth a pickup if he is in free agency and you're reeling for tight end right now. Austin Hooper definitely should be on rosters in 12 team leagues, arguably even 10 team leagues with the state of tight end right now. Nick Chubb was out for this game, so Kareem Hunt got the start and he got most of the usage. However, the usage was not very friendly because it was the Steelers' defense and it was negative game script here. 13 carries, 40 rushing yards, two catches, 17 receiving yards, no touchdowns for Kareem Hunt. The Steelers just, I mean, the Browns just got totally steamrolled, so there's just really no chance for Kareem Hunt to establish anything here. Uh, For what it's worth, uh, Dontrell Hilliard and Dearness Johnson each saw four carries apiece, but that might have been even due to the blowout nature. Kareem Hunt looks like the bell cow when all systems go for the Browns. Okay, next game, the Atlanta Falcons got their first win of the season with an impressive road victory over the Minnesota Vikings. Both teams are now one and five. Matt Ryan was sensational in this game after two or three weeks of very pathetic play 371 passing yards for Matt Ryan four touchdowns Matt Ryan went 11 quarters with a touchdown drought he did not score in 11 quarters and in this game he scored four times Matt Ryan completed 20 excuse me 30 of 40 attempts and he just excelled with Julio Jones back in the lineup Julio Jones the skeleton key here for Atlanta in this offense and Matt Ryan's best play was on a scramble on fourth and one that resulted in a flick to Julio Jones for a 40-yard catch and run touchdown and Atlanta actually played 80 snaps in this game Julio Jones Julio get the stretch 10 targets 8 catches 137 yards and two touchdowns it was a weak winning week for Julio Jones and he was definitely healthy after missing last week uh, due to a hamstring injury, and he was just the missing ingredient in this offense 
uh, for everything to click. And he scored on a 20-yard strike early and then on that 40-yard busted play on fourth down that I talked about. And he just shredded the poor Vikings secondary and made Matt Ryan look like a brand-new quarterback. Calvin Ridley also had a good game. Seven targets, six catches, 61 yards, one touchdown. Ridley was a first-down machine early in this game. And he converted a red zone target for an eight-yard score. Uh, and he and Julio Jones just really just had a field day against the secondary. And Ridley's day could have been bigger if not for second-half cramps that he had. But that shouldn't be an issue going forward. Hayden Hurst, four targets, four catches, 57 yards, and a score. So perfect efficiency there for Hurst. And he's been inside the top uh, five of routes run for tight ends like all season long. And finally, managers were rewarded with the top 12 finish on the week. His touchdown came on a really sharp play design, uh, one made possible because of Julio Jones's presence. And, and he just opens up everything for this offense. Todd Gurley, 20 carries, 47 scoreless yards. And Gurley was featured in the first half way more than he should have been. And like every first and 10 carry just seemed like a win for the defense when the passing game was just so on fire with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley healthy. And Gurley, just, he just creates so little if the hole isn't there. He only gets what's blocked. And the Falcons, they did play 80 snaps in this one. The volume is good for Gurley. And they had positive game script here, but he just couldn't do anything with it. Um, you know, he's, I, I think he's on his last legs, but he's getting enough volume to be a running back two weekly in fantasy football. As for the Vikings, 343 passing yards for Kirk Cousins, three touchdowns, but also three interceptions, and they were all pretty bad there. Kirk Cousins, you know, there's no reason to be intercepted three times against the Falcons at home. He's just not playing that well. Luckily, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen are sensational, and they brought him to relevance in the second half, as well as the favorable gain script, thanks to his own interceptions and a non-existent running game as well. That also fed into Kirk Cousins' pretty solid fantasy line, even though he was not very good in real life. Adam Thielen, five targets, three catches, 51 yards, and a touchdown. This was another Justin Jefferson breakout game, which I'll get to in a second. And the Vikings just couldn't run the ball, and they trailed all game after three Kirk Cousins interceptions. So this set up well for a nice second half for Adam Thielen, and he had a late score in this game. But this was the totally the Justin Jefferson show. We saw in week three against the Titans when he had 175 and a touch. Today, or sorry, on Sunday, 11 targets, nine catches, 166 yards, and two touchdowns against Atlanta. It was a week-winning performance. Jefferson already looks like one of the better receivers in the entire NFL. Uh, he's a downfield threat, which he wasn't really, that wasn't really the case at the NFL, but he flashed his 40-time at the NFL Combine. He was a lot faster than a lot of people, including myself, expected. He's just a playmaker, and he's a great route runner as well. He's only 21 years old, and he commanded a team-high 31% of the target share in this game, while Adam Thielen only saw five targets. Jefferson doubled that plus one. He saw 11 here. And again, the Vikings, this was favorable game script here. The Vikings were trailing all game thanks to Cousins' turnovers, and Jefferson just really blew up in the second half. Um, also, it was a very easy opponent, I should say. The, the Falcons are dreadful against the pass, but this is nonetheless awesome for Justin Jefferson. Uh, the running game was not awesome. Alexander Madison was in a beautiful 
situation going into this game. It was an amazing spot start. Uh, Dalvin Cook did not play, and it was up against the Falcons at home, and Alexander Madison totally busted. 10 carries, 26 scoreless yards, one catch for four yards, and, and Madison struggled, and the entire interior offensive line for the Vikings struggled against a bad Falcons defense. That's pretty concerning. Madison was just a big letdown, though, and he was not game script proof. He got subbed out for Mike Boone and way too much Amir Abdullah in the passing game in the second half with the Vikings trailing. So, yeah, total bust performance from Alexander Madison. A lot of people, including myself, were hyped up about that performance. And I started him in two leagues, and that was just uh, a, a total dumpster fire there for Alexander Madison. Dalvin Cook is supposed to return uh, after the, he had the bye week this week to heal up, and he is... Uh, set to come back for week seven. So Alexander Madison can go back to the bench for being a handcuff only. Okay, let's move on to the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, they held on. They hung on by a thread to defeat the Philadelphia Eagles 30-28. to And Baltimore is 5-1. Philadelphia is 1-4-1. But again, that's only a half game back out of first place in the NFC East. So right in playoff contention there for the Eagles. They got us right where they want them. And and let's see, week six for Lamar Jackson. We'll start with Baltimore. Uh, 186 passing yards. Let me read off the passing performances for Lamar Jackson in the last four games. Uh, actually, let's go five games here. Ever since week one where he just dominated the Browns. Uh, week two, 201 passing yards. Week three, 97 Passing yards. Week four, 193 passing yards. Week five, 180. And week six, 186. That is five straight games with fewer than 200 passing yards. This is not the same Lamar Jackson through the air. Luckily, it was the same Lamar Jackson on the ground in this game as we saw last year. Nine carries, 108 rushing yards, and one rushing score. He had one passing touchdown as well. No turnovers, which is good. But, again, this is just a solid game for Lamar. Actually, I guess it's a good game, I should say. But we need more from the passing production here. The rushing output was a relief. He he masterfully manipulated the Philadelphia defense with ball fakes, option plays. He created massive running lanes for himself. The passing game just continues to struggle. And Jackson is just off. And he's not showing the accuracy that he did. He's having a lot of balls just hit the ground. Uh, and, and some of these passes are really ugly. So also in this game, I should say that Jackson also had very little time to operate in the pocket, uh, and that affects the passing game as well. Marquise Brown, six targets, four catches, 57 scoreless yards, and the Ravens in their low-volume, inefficient passing attack. You know, Brown leading the team and receiving just means very little. Baltimore was conservative in the second half, trying to protect the lead as usual. And Brown has the third most air yards in the NFL. And only Adam Thielen and Calvin Ridley have more. And Brown also, Marquise Brown also has a 26% target share. But unfortunately, he's only 20th in receiving yards and has just one touchdown on the year, which speaks to Lamar Jackson's passing ineptitude this season. Mark Andrews, total dud. And he's just been going back and forth between great game and poor game. But that's like better than most tight ends. 
uh, two catches for 21 yards on four targets in this game. Andrews wasn't even the most targeted tight end in this game. It was just a total stinker here. Uh, Lamar Jackson had him open for a 12-yard first down, but threw the pass straight into the ground in an ugly throw. And, you know, Jackson just hasn't been the same through the air this year, and it's hurting guys like Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown, much to my dismay, uh, because they're all over my teams. And let's see, Mark Ingram in the running game, uh, he's to a lot of fantasy managers' dismay, but not to me because I avoided him in all drafts. But five attempts for 20 yards. He exited with an ankle injury in the second quarter. Gus Edwards, 14 carries, 26 yards, one touchdown, functioned as the team lead back. They tried to get J.K. Dobbins involved early in this game. Yeah, but it didn't really work. Nine carries, 28 scoreless yards. There just wasn't a lot of running lanes open against this Eagles defense, which is pretty good against the run. And they have been a uh, pass funnel defense for a long time, so or for like last two or three years. And, and often, you know, J.K. Dobbins was having to run laterally after bouncing it outside, after having no holes in the middle. And again, Mark Ingram exited with a minor ankle injury, but it looks like Gus Edwards is going to get most of the work. And maybe that might not be much of anything because the Ravens have a bye this week. So keep that in mind. It looks like, you know, Mark Ingram is going to miss uh, at least probably a week or two, maybe three with this ankle injury. It's, it's, it's a minor ankle injury. So Gus Edwards might only be able to start like one game for you after his bye. So I don't know if it's that much worth it uh, to go uh, full on out uh, and assault for him in free agency. As for the Eagles side, Carson Wentz, 213 passing yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions, but five rushing attempts for 49 rushing yards and a rushing score as well. Wentz has been thriving on the ground this season. It's been unbelievable, and it's because he's under constant duress uh, in these games. He took six sacks in this game. He's like running for his life out there, and the Eagles... You know, they added Miles Sanders and Zachers to the list of players that are injured for this team, along with several starting offensive linemen, backup offensive linemen, uh, Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, Dallas Goddard, Jalen Rager, all hurt. So Wentz is having to do it all himself. And he targeted Travis Fulgham heavily again in this game. And the Eagles, he led the Eagles to a frantic comeback attempt, uh, Wentz did. Uh, coming up one two-point conversion short of tying this game and sending it to overtime, and they were trailing big time. Wentz was playing poorly to begin the season, but all things considered, he's been strong lately. He's one of the only things giving the Eagles a chance to win these games. He's like having to do it all by himself. Deshaun Jackson, again, did not play. Jalen Rager did not play. Uh, Dallas Goddard did not play. Zach Ertz, he exited in this game. 10 targets, 4 catches, 33 yards, no touchdowns as usual for Ertz. He exited with a high ankle sprain, so he's expected to miss 3 or 4 weeks. Goddard is still out, and he's unlikely to play on Thursday night football. The Eagles have, like, Jason Kroom. Uh, yes, that's a real person. Uh, he actually scored in a red zone touchdown for the Eagles but did nothing else. Uh, Jason Kroom's going to be, like, the starting tight end for the Eagles. I mean, it is just – and Miles Sanders is going to be inactive. It's basically going to be Boston Scott, like John Hightower, Greg Ward, Jason Kroom, and at least Travis Fulgham. Travis Fulgham is in a bright spot for this Eagles team, and one of the main reasons is because the Eagles have nobody else. There's just nobody else. They are all – Basically, you know, deceased. They're, they're on the injury report. And 10 targets for Fulgham, 6 catches, 75 receiving yards, and a score. So if you picked up Travis Fulgham from free agency after his 
dominant performance against Pittsburgh last week, then you made out like a bandit because it doesn't look like this guy's going away anytime soon, especially with all the injuries. But even as the Eagles receivers do get healthier, which I don't think is going to be this week, so at least get one more week with Fulgham being the full-time number one wideout. But even as they come back, I don't know if they're going to be able to supplant Travis Fulgham because I don't think they're going to be playing as well as Fulgham is right now. Wentz is showing a lot of trust in Fulgham by throwing him several 50-50 balls downfield. He's a big-bodied wideout. His touchdown was a jump ball with two defenders on him, and he nearly came down with a Hail Mary pass at the end of the first half. So Fulgham continues to thrive as the Eagles' de facto number one receiver and uh, he's probably worth starting pretty much every week until these Eagles receivers uh, come back and show otherwise. Uh, Miles Sanders, big news here, uh, nine carries, 118 yards, uh, only one catch for negative six yards, but he exited with a minor knee injury. He's expected to miss one or two weeks, and that's including this Thursday night football game against the New York Giants. That was a pretty soft matchup for Sanders that he's going to have to miss, unfortunately. And now Sanders, for this game, he got most of his rushing yards on a single carry second straight week where he busted loose for a 70-plus yard run. Uh, But this one ended with a fumble into the end zone. It was luckily recovered by J.J. Ortega-Whiteside for a touchdown. But Sanders had an ugly touchdown drop that would have gone for a 15-yard touchdown in this game. So it could have been bigger. And he's had to play Pittsburgh and Baltimore the last two weeks. But he is going to be out for one or two weeks. So Boston Scott is the waiver wire add there. The Eagles, I believe, have the Giants on Thursday night football this week. And after that, uh, let's assume Sanders misses one more game after that. He plays the Dallas Cowboys and then a bye. So, yeah, it would make sense that the Eagles held out Sanders through the bye week, which is in three weeks. So it looks like Sanders is going to miss two games, then have the bye to rest, and he'll be back fully 100% healthy after that bye week. But that's not until, what is that, until week 10 there. And is that that's actually against the Giants, so he'll get his chance to face the Giants there. But either way, it looks like Boston Scott is a good waiver wire ad uh, if he's in free agency and you need a spot start for uh, two weeks, it's, it's two great matchups for Scott. And he also is a great PPR maven because he's like Darren Sproles. He catches a bunch of little short passes, uh, which is, you know, a point each time he does that. All right, let's move to the last game of the episode here. And it was the most fun game. I saved the best for last. The Tennessee Titans were the last team with the ball, and they were they won. It was one of those games where the last team that's going to have the ball wins. Deshaun Watson in overtime of this shootout in Nashville, he they lost the coin toss, and Deshaun Watson like was visibly upset because he knew that the Titans were probably going to go down and score, and he thought he was going to do the same thing if he had won the coin toss, and that's exactly what the Titans did. 42-36 to was the final score in overtime. The Titans are now 5-0. and The Texans won and Five. This was kind of a must-win game for the Texans, and they did not do it. Uh, Deshaun Watson has been great without Bill O'Brien, but we'll get to him in a second. We always do the winners first, and that was Ryan Tannehill in this quarterback duel between Tannehill and Deshaun Watson, both of whom were outstanding. Uh, Tannehill did have two turnovers. He had one interception and a fumble loss in this game. Uh, the fumble loss was on a strip sack um, after Taylor Lewan, his left tackle, got hurt, and LaJuan tore his ACL, and he is out for the season. That's such a huge, critical loss. And right after J.J. Watt beat uh, his backup, Tyler Sembreo, and 
for the sack and cause them to lose a fumble. It, Taylor Lamont, such a big loss for this Titans team. So they may have won the game, but they lost uh, their left tackle, which sucks because Ryan Tannehill has just been on fire lately. 364 passing yards in this game, four touchdowns for Tannehill. And he was just, he was just lights out in this game, despite not having Corey Davis and despite losing Janu Smith. He fed his tight end there in the second quarter with an angle injury. He fed his backup tight end, Anthony Ferkser, for eight catches, 113 yards, and a score. Um, but it's to be determined whether Johnny Smith's going to play this week. He's questionable with that ankle injury. Uh, A.J. Brown was sensational in this game. Seven targets, five catches, 57 receiving yards, and two touchdowns. His touchdowns came from six and seven yards out. He beat Bradley Roby one-on-one in the back uh, of the end zone for a game-tying touchdown with seconds to spare. Johnny Smith, again, exited this game, and Corey Davis was out, so that did help the production for A.J. Brown, but A.J. Brown looks healthy and back ready to roll as a receiver number one or a top 12 receiver each week. Corey Davis out. Jonu Smith, two uh, two targets, one catch, 13 yards. Uh, And he exited with an ankle sprain early in the second half, as I mentioned. Uh, He slammed his helmet to the ground late in the first half. He tried to work through this ankle injury, through the pain. Uh, He had popped up on the injury report with an ankle injury earlier in the season, but he didn't miss any time. But he was obviously pretty frustrated about this. And for good reason. This was a soft matchup, and it could have been a huge day for Johnny Smith. Again, Anthony Ferkser, the backup tight end, who's not nearly as talented as Johnny Smith, caught eight passes for 113 yards and a touchdown. Quite annoying in a soft matchup here. Johnny Smith could have had a big game. But you know who did have a big game? Derek Henry. Twenty-two carries, two hundred and twelve yards, two touchdowns, and for great measure, two catches for fifty-two additional yards. Henry entered this game averaging just three point seven yards a carry on the season, been pretty inefficient. He finally had one of his signature eruption games against a soft defense, and that the Texans are. And he scored on a 94-yard rushing touchdown, the longest play of the season so far. He could go all the way. In the third quarter, where he just kind of went up the gut, shedded a tackle or two, evaded some defenders. He's got great speed for a guy his size. And he just totally embarrassed the Texans' defense, or lack thereof. And it was just an amazing Rumble 94 yards all the way to the end zone. It was one of the most exciting parts of the day and of the season for me personally, honestly, because I have Derrick Henry in two or three leagues. But in in overtime, he had a 50-yard catch on a dump off and capped the game with a six-yard rushing touchdown on a direct snap. Henry's day could have been even bigger than it was if he connected with Tannehill on two other screen passes that would have been sizable gains. He had one drop, and Tannehill kind of missed him on the other. But Derrick Henry, the ultimate week winner in Week 6 in in one of the top performances of the year so far. Unfortunately, Derrick Henry, that will probably come to an end uh, next week, without Taylor Lewan as left tackle, he has to go face the Pittsburgh Steelers, who have been just so stingy against the run. So it may be short-lived. He may have a disappointing uh, come-back-to-earth game this week. But it was exciting while, uh, while watching it and while it lasted here. 
And for the last team of the day, um, Houston Texans. 333 passing yards by Deshaun Watson. Four touchdowns, 26 rushing yards. Deshaun Watson has not been rushing as much this year, but when he's passing this well, he doesn't need to. Watson was just dueling with Ryan Tannehill in the shootout in Nashville, and he just played. He's just been so incredible since Bill O'Brien was canned. And in the last two games, the two games without Bill O'Brien, Watson's had, I think he's eclipsed almost 30 points in each game in standard scoring. He had no turnovers. And he found, you know, a different pass catcher for all four of his touchdowns. Will Fuller, you know, my boy, Randall Cobb, Brandon Cooks, and the other one was Darren Fells. And he just played a near-perfect game, Watson did. And the Texans' pitiful defense and David Johnson's lack of burst and the lack of running game that the Texans have just means that Watson will just have to continue to throw often. And it helps that his two injury-prone receivers, Will Fuller, and Brandon Cooks are both healthy and rocking and rolling right now. Uh, we'll start with Will Fuller because he's my personal fave here. Uh, 11 targets, 6 catches, 123 yards, and a score. Will Fuller hadn't done much. He was on like 50 receiving yards until a 53-yard touchdown where he was just kind of left uncovered. Malcolm Butler, the cornerback, thought that he had safety help, and he just was hit on a deep pass by Deshaun Watson for a 53-yard touchdown. And this came like minutes after Derrick Henry's 94-yard uh, rumble touchdown. So this was just a great like span of like 15 minutes in, in real lifetime uh, for me personally, uh, knowing how much exposure I have of Derrick Henry and Will Fuller on my fantasy teams. And, and I did have a great... Fantasy week for those of you who are wondering, but I doubt you really care. But you might care, considering you might have players on uh, these similar players, Will Fuller and Derrick Henry, on your teams if you followed uh, my draft guide. If you, who you don't probably have is Brandon Cooks, and I regret that because he has been pretty strong in the last two games. He is coming on uh, nine targets, nine catches, so perfect. Ratio there, 68 receiving yards and one score for Brandon Cooks. He's now thriving without Bill o since they fired Bill O'Brien. There's no coincidence there. It's his first two good games of the year, and it's the first two games where Bill O'Brien isn't coaching this team. What a shocker. Cooks' score was a one-yarder from fourth and goal. They're using him uh, underneath, not just as a deep threat. And another reason that he might be kind of um, coming into his own here with the Texans is because... Uh, he was kind of battling an injury at the start of this season, and, and as was Will Fuller for a little bit. But uh, Fuller and Cooks are both playing really, really well, and, and Fuller actually has had a good game in every single game this year except for that Week 2 goose egg where he exited with a hamstring injury, and we won't talk about that nightmare performance there. But other than that, Will Fuller's been great. He's been a top 10 receiver, and that's everything I wanted when we drafted him. And now we can cue the inevitable injury that's going to come to Will Fuller because it comes every single year. Uh, but we are just enjoying what we have right now. David Johnson, he did find the end zone again. 19 carries, 57 yards rushing, only 12 yards receiving on a catch, but one rushing score. It was a one-yard uh, rushing touchdown for David Johnson at the goal line. But it was another rough day for the fading veteran who kind of, you know, kept getting sent backward at the point of attack. The, the offensive line wasn't very good, and Johnson really wasn't good himself. He was stopped 
Uh, he, he was actually stopped four times in, inside the Titans' five-yard line in this game. So props to, I mean, I guess it's a good sign that they're trying to get him touchdowns, with even without Bill O'Brien there, who made that awful trade for David Johnson. But it just looks like he's kind of on his last legs, even as a 28-year-old. The injuries are kind of piling up over the years. Uh, and, and the Texans' office is heating up, so he's getting the opportunity to score touchdowns. But he has not had a very efficient season, uh, to say the least, so far, David Johnson here. Okay, and that is all of the matchups here. Uh, let's get to the waiver wire section of week seven. All right, real quickly, I'm going to go through the waiver wire, you know, potential ads, guys you can look for in your free agency. We'll do it by positions. What you need to know about this week, uh, four teams have buys this week, the Ravens, the Colts, the Vikings, and the Dolphins. So that means no Ryan Fitzpatrick, although he got benched already, but no Miles Gaskin, that hurts. Uh, no Devontae Parker for the Vikings. No Jefferson Jefferson. No Adam Thielen. No Kirk Cousins. Not that you probably were using Kirk Cousins, but no Dalvin Cook uh, for the Colts. That means you probably weren't using Phillip Rivers unless you're in a Superflex league, and you sure as hell shouldn't be using T.Y. Hilton. But no Jonathan Taylor for the Colts. No Colts defense this week. And no Rodrigo Blockenship, the number one kicker, I believe, right now. He wears those glasses. I call them four eyes. But either way, he will be on a bye week. And the Ravens, that's a big bye week for me personally, uh, and probably you if you followed my draft guide, because it's not that I don't have Lamar Jackson on any of my teams, although a lot of teams do, and that's a big loss there for those teams. But um, Marquise Brown, Marquise Hollywood Brown, and Mark Andrews. And you don't really need to worry about the running game there for the Ravens, but also the Ravens defense and Justin Tucker. I have Justin Tucker on quite a few teams as well, so i got to get a new kicker. But let's move on to... The quarterbacks this week, Justin Herbert, he had a bye. He's probably picked up in your league after that great performance against the New Orleans Saints where he just tore the Saints apart on, and it was a primetime game, so everybody probably watched it. But if he wasn't picked up because he did have a bye week, he does get to face the Jacksonville Jaguars this year, so he's a streaming uh, option there. So Justin Herbert, make sure he's not in free agency. Uh, Matt Stafford. He had a pretty slow week against the Jaguars, but that was because of three rushing touchdowns. Make sure he's not in free agency. The Lions get the Falcons this week, so he's definitely a streaming option as well. And then my last one that I'll say is Tua Tungavailoa here because if you're in a super flex league, you're going to want to make sure this guy is not on your waiver wire. He is an automatic ad in super flex leagues, probably – I mean, definitely not in regular just one quarterback leagues. If you're like in a 12-team league, there's really no reason to add Tua unless like everybody in your league has like a backup or more for whatever reason. But uh, but Tua is on a bye this week, so I wouldn't rush to him if I'm just in a single quarterback league. But if you are in a super flex league, yeah, definitely Tua is going to be a, a huge priority there. I wish Tua was available in my super flex leagues, but he has been taken. He was drafted, and the, and the managers wisely held on because this uh, starting situation is happening bef- sooner than we thought. And there's not really any other good streaming options uh, for the quarterbacks this week. So we're going to move on to running backs. And Boston Scott, You know he's probably the number one ad in all of free agency this week, assuming that nobody crazy has been left over in free agency. Boston Scott, again, he's got, the, I've already discussed him. He's got the Giants on Thursday Night Football. 
and the Cowboys the next week, and he'll probably get to play in both those games because the Eagles have a bye after that, and then Miles Sanders will come. So he's a two-week rental is what he is. But in PPR leagues, he could be very, very valuable. A lot of people uh, need running backs right now. Gus Edwards, uh, it's it's really tough to, to spend a lot of free fab money on Gus Edwards or to spend a priority on him, seeing as he might be also a one-week rental. And maybe not even that. It's possible Ingram comes back from his uh, ankle injury. Mark Ingram uh, comes back after the bye week. The Ravens have a bye. And can you really afford to stash Gus Edwards and then hope that Ingram is available to play after this bye week? And I believe, I'm not certain, but I believe they have Pittsburgh after the bye. So, yeah, I'm not really too into getting Gus Edwards here. But if you're desperate for running backs, then, yeah, go for it. Um, Tony Pollard. He is somebody that I would definitely be prioritizing as a handcuff here, uh, not just as a handcuff to Zeke. We have seen Zeke struggle, and there are scenarios that exist out there where you know maybe if the Cowboys lose a couple of more games and they get you know somebody in the NFC East steps up and they can't make the playoffs with Andy Dalton, there's a scenario where Zeke is just kind of iced for the end of the season. And, you know, that scenario exists. There's also a scenario where Zeke just gets flat-out benched because he keeps fumbling the football. Again, he has seven fumble losses in his last 13 games, which is an insane amount for a running back. Uh, I don't think they'll bench Zeke outright, but Tony Pollard's going to get more playing time here. And he's he's got fresh legs. I think Tony Pollard, especially because he can play so well in the receiving game, is is worth, he should definitely be rostered in 12-team formats. Justin Jackson... Uh, he was the lead back in Los Angeles. It's, it's probably going to be a time split with he and Joshua Kelly, but he looked like the better back against the Saints. Justin Jackson should be claimed in all leagues, in all 12-team leagues, and probably even 10-team leagues. Uh, J.D. McKissick, he should be claimed in all of 12-team leagues and rostered in 12-team leagues uh, for sure, especially in PPR formats because he is splitting time with Antonio Gibson there, but he's not somebody you want to spend a ton of fab money on if he's available. It's just somebody you want to put at the end of your bench for some depth, and if uh, Antonio Gibson happened to get hurt, McKissick would have a pretty uh, fine situation there despite the circumstances in Washington. Uh, LaMichael Pirine, he... Uh, saw the majority of touches and snaps for running backs for the New York Jets. That's not saying much with Flacco at quarterback. They can't really do anything the Jets can't. But, hey, if you're a starting running back and you're getting the majority of the volume there and you're the younger back as they try to phase the old uh, Frank Gore, the elderly Frank Gore, out of this offense, uh, yeah, LaMichael Pirine, they're trying to, you know, have a youth development there in New York as they tank. Uh, yeah, he's definitely should be on 12-team rosters, but, you know, I'm not trying to spend a pretty penny to get him. Gio Bernard is the last running back that I can come up with here, and I think that's just kind of insurance in case Joe Mixon's ankle injury is more serious than he let on. He is questionable for this week in the early injury designation. Let's move on to wide receivers here. Travis Fulgham, if he is not picked up in free agency, which I don't know why he wouldn't be after dominating the Steelers, uh, he does play the Giants on Thursday Night Football. He does get James Bradbury, one of the top corners in the league. But just based on the volume he's receiving, Fulgham should be added in all leagues, even though I don't love his matchup this week. Um, however, 
uh, yeah, I would be spending a pretty sizable chunk of my fab money to get Fulgham if he was there in free agency. T. Higgins, probably even more. T. Higgins should not be a free agent, but I've seen it in a couple of ESPN leagues, not mine, but others. Uh, Chase Claypool, same situation. He's still only rostered in like 70% of ESPN leagues. Don't let your league be one of those. Chase Claypool, he looks like the real deal. Um, Brandon Cooks is another player who is probably rostered in your leagues, along with Claypool and Higgins and Fulgham. I'm just just trying to cover the bases here. Make sure that if you're in a you know in a casual league, maybe it's a 10 team league, these guys should be added. But Brandon Cooks should also be added, even in 10 team leagues. He's coming along just fine. Uh, and he looks healthier now and he looks like he has a better role without Bill O'Brien. Tim Patrick, probably not for 10 team leagues, but yes for 12 team leagues. Uh, he looks like the de facto number one receiver for the Denver Broncos, even playing better than Jerry Judy. So like I said earlier in the show, if you think Jerry Judy is worth a roster spot in 12-team leagues, then so is Tim Patrick. Uh, Brashad Perriman came out, had 62 receiving yards on four catches, and that was with Joe Flacco at quarterback. He's worth a stash right now. Uh, if you kind of want to wait for Sam Darnold to get back and maybe this Jets offense to pick up just a little bit, they are always losing, so the game script is favorable for the passing game here. And he's worth an add definitely in 14-teamers. I would say in 12-teamers as well, probably not in 10-teamers. Um, Keelan Cole had an incredible game, and I got really lucky. Um, there was this league that I was in where I needed to start two receivers in the flex and I just had to pick up the best available free agent. And I thought DJ Chark wasn't going to play. And again, I was at the beach, so I didn't really get to see like the actives and inactives really that much. I didn't really get to focus on them. And I started Keelan Cole thinking that DJ Chark was not going to be active. And I forgot to change it when I realized that Chark was active just a few minutes before game time. And then good thing I didn't change it because Keelan Cole had 140 yards on, uh, I think it was six or seven catches in that game. And he helped me win that game. But then the other receiver that I played uh, that I picked up out of free agency before this becomes as a brag fest, the other receiver that I ended up adding uh, was Nikhil Harry. And I started him as well. And he had a total goose egg, zero catches on two targets. So uh, with the good comes the bad there. So, But Keelan Cole worth an add, even though he's uh, probably the Second, he's the second receiver for the Jaguars. They're just always trailing. Minshew's a pretty aggressive quarterback, though he is pretty inaccurate. Uh, but yeah, I like Keelan Cole. He should be rostered in 12-team leagues. Probably not 10-team leagues, though. Christian Kirk should be also be rostered in 12-team leagues. I'm a little upset in my high-stake leagues. I, I gave up on Christian Kirk too early. I, I cut him loose after like week one or two, uh, probably week two. And he was dealing with that little minor injury. But Kirk has come back, and he's had three solid games in a row, including the blow-up game uh, against the Cowboys in Monday Night Football. And I know it was the Cowboys, and I know the week before was the Jets. But either way, Christian Kirk becoming the number two receiver in a potent offense, which is what I wanted him to be when I drafted him on two or three teams. And so Christian Kirk should be added in free agency, though probably not 10-team leads just because of the lack of volume and just too much volatility there. But definitely in 12-team leagues for sure he should be rostered. Demarcus Robinson should also be rostered in 12-team leagues. Deshaun Jackson should also be rostered in 12-team leagues. If you want to add him, if he was dropped because of the injury, I don't think he's going to play this week against the Giants. He may. I'm kind of hoping that he doesn't. And then he gets the long week of rest because it is Thursday night football game this week. So Deshaun Jackson can be healthy fully for week eight. 
So now's the time to you know, kind of get ahead of the curve and add Deshaun Jackson if he got cut into free agency there in 12-team formats. Probably not worth it in 10-team formats. Um, four tight ends. Dallas Goddard, I don't think he's going to play this week, but make sure nobody cut him. Uh, and I would add him and, again, get ahead of the curve there. I don't think he's going to play this week, but I do think he's going to play in week eight. So and, and maybe not. Maybe if it's not week eight, week nine. And, again, when he comes back, he is going to be a huge focal point because the Eagles lack receivers, and, and Zach Ertz is now hurt too. Uh, not that that's saying much. He probably would have been a big focal point with Zach Ertz there, seeing as Zach Ertz just totally sucks now. Uh, Darren Fells, uh, he's had two good games in a row, and it's because Jordan Atkins, the starting tight end, has missed both games. Atkins is returning this week, but if you need uh, a tight end, there's no one better in free agency. Maybe you have Mark Andrews on bye week or something like that, like I do. Then Darren Fells, maybe Logan Thomas in free agency. Worth flyers there. Just don't spend any fab money on him. Just just take what you can get. Uh, Anthony Ferkser, if Johnny Smith doesn't play, he does have a matchup with the Steelers. Uh, Trey Burton, I guess. Robert Tanyan, see if anyone cuts in. I'd rather, I'd rather Tanyan than all those tight ends I just named if he's in free agency for this week. Uh, so let's move on to kickers. Uh, but again, for tight ends, I do want to uh, reiterate or emphasize that I wouldn't be spending any fab money or really priorities on these tight ends. Uh, there are names to add if you need a backup, but yeah, I'm not spending any money on them. Uh, uh, for kickers, uh, I'm going to name, the easiest way to do this is I name the top 12 kickers and top 12 defenses, basically. And if you don't have one of the top 12 for this week, then uh, you should go cut whoever you have at kicker and add a new one. So the only kickers that I wouldn't cut for the following guys are uh, Justin Tucker for Baltimore. I know he's got the bye week and Rodrigo Blockenship, and I know he is the bye week. I would try to keep both of them on my roster if I can. I'd rather, I'd really want to keep Tucker. Uh, if I have to cut Blockenship, then I will. Um, but I'd rather keep both of them I can, but sometimes you don't have a choice. Uh, but Harrison Butt kicker. Uh, for the Chiefs, Mason Crosby for the Packers, Ryan Suckup for the Bucks. He should be added on all 12-team leagues uh, with the way the Bucks are playing right now. They're a winning team, good offense with Tom Brady, great, great defense. Uh, Zane Gonzalez uh, for the Cardinals with the way they're putting up points. He needs to be on roster in all 12-team leagues. So he, I'm sure he is. Uh, Will Lutz, he's coming off his bye week. He may have been cut, so go see if Will Lutz is in free agency. Uh, he plays the Carolina Panthers this week. He should be rostered. Matt Prater. He had a bye last week, so he might not be rostered. Uh, and now he, is the, he gets the Falcons this week. Uh, Youngway Koo should definitely be rostered. He's the number one kicker, I believe, in points per game. And he plays Detroit this week. And he got hurt, so he got cut by some a lot of teams and leagues uh, that I'm in at least. So make sure Youngway Koo is not on uh, free agents. Uh, not, on, not in free agency, I should say. Uh, and lastly, Randy Bullock, I'll say, uh, he gets the Cleveland Browns this week, and they're a little beat up. And I think that Randy Bullock is a top five kicker right now, and Joe Burrow is putting him in position to kick field goals. He's played well. So uh, how many kickers did I mention there? I mentioned about 10 kickers there. So let's go over some streamers. If you don't have one of the kickers that I mentioned now or they're not in free agency, here are some streamers you can use just for this week. Joey Sly against the New Orleans Saints. Uh, that should be a pretty high-scoring game, Panthers versus Saints there. Um, Michael Badgley against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I, th I think he should be good for at least a field goal and multiple extra points there against the Jaguars. Uh, Michael Badgley's for the Chargers, by the way. Uh, he called himself the Money Badger before he hit that post against the Saints. 
that allowed the Saints to send it to overtime and eventually win. So he wasn't money on that kick, but I would start him against the Jaguars here. Uh, Tyler Bass for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, he plays the New York Jets, so he hasn't done pretty much anything all season. He's actually been pretty bad. He's a rookie kicker, but every kicker who goes up against the Jets gets at least six points. So that's pretty solid uh, if you have like Justin Tucker on bye week or something like that, and the kickers I named are not in free agency. And lastly, I'll give one more shot to Greg Zerline. He has been awful lately, and I can't trust him with Andy Dalton, but he is facing the Washington football team this week, so it's a good matchup. But again, he's kind of a last resort there. Uh, And defenses, lastly, if you don't have the Steelers or the Baltimore Ravens, they're on bye week, but I would hold on to them if I can. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Chicago Bears, Los Angeles Rams, San Francisco 49ers, uh, and I'll say New England Patriots as well. Um, If you don't have one of those defenses, I'll give you some streamers there. The Buffalo Bills, they play the Jets this week. The Bills have not been good. They've been totally underwhelming, and they were my number one defense going into the season. And that just makes me look like a total fool because they've been terrible. But they do get the Jets this week. Uh, and everybody who faces the Jets looks like total kings uh, from, on defense. Um, if the Miami Dolphins can shut you out on defense, then pretty much anybody can have a good defensive day there. The Chargers are facing the Jaguars and Gardner Minshew. So the Chargers have a talented defense. They get a couple of players back from injury after their bye week to heal up. So, yeah, I like the Chargers this week as a streaming option for sure. Uh, and then my last streaming option would probably be the Philadelphia Eagles, who face the Giants on Thursday night football. So if you want to get them, you need to do it soon because they um, will likely be scooped up before Thursday, uh, seeing as they do get to face Daniel Jones there. Okay, that'll conclude today's episode. If you enjoy, if you enjoyed today's lengthy show, please do me a solid hit the subscribe button. Uh, Give a positive rating or review. I really appreciate that. Again, I am going to a wedding in Indiana, so I won't be able to do my matchups preview show again for the second straight week. I know. I apologize for the layover. I will be back in in just as normal, ready to go next week for week eight. But if I don't get another podcast in before week eight begins, uh, good luck in week eight. I'll try to get one more in before then. Uh, However... If I don't, good luck. And you can always send me your matchup uh, questions, your your lineup decisions, that your lineup questions you have to make. Uh, I'm at Fantasy Law Guy on all social media, pretty much. Uh, Facebook, Nick Garisco is the name, obviously, and uh, Instagram, Twitter at Fantasy Law Guy. And there's a submitting there's a submitting question section on the website FantasyLawGuy.com. You can also check out the contextualized game logs there. So. I really appreciate y'all's support. And again, I really apologize uh, for the lack of shows in the last two weeks. It's been a, a chaotic uh, two weeks uh, with travel here. And then we're also moving uh, right when I get back. So yeah, just a tough time here, but I will be back sooner than later. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. See ya.